Most of all, Lord, as we are escorted to the cross, help us to see our own complicity, our own responsibility, our own sin for which our blessed Lord Jesus Christ died. Speak to us and open up our hearts so that we not just go through the motions another Sunday, but so that we hear your word and respond to it fully and leave here with forgiveness and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. We want to take this opportunity to welcome you here this morning. A lot of you are guests, and we're delighted that you are here. Uh, if you would like to know more information about our church, the ushers have that available for you as you depart. But now we just want to make everyone feel welcome. So if there's someone whom you do not know, make a beeline toward them, as we say in the South, and introduce yourself and shake hands, speak to those around you. Fellowship is an important part of worship, so let's begin that now. Hosanna, loud Hosanna.
Let us pray. Dear Lord, I just uh, pray that uh, I know it's been a, a busy day already, a busy weekend, and, and by the time you, we get to church, many times we've been running uh, all morning. I just pray that right now that uh, we won't just slow down, but that we will stop and uh, just put everything else aside and, uh, and sort of reflect on, on this week, this holy week, uh, Palm Sunday and the, the crucifixion that we'll focus on today and the, the coming of Easter. And I do just pray that this week that we will just uh, slow down and stop some each day and just realize that uh, all of our hope is in you and uh, that everything we have is yours. And so I just pray that you would take this offering and that you would bless it and uh, that uh, you would bless each uh, giver and gift. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
the word of the Lord. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have led you with unfailing kindness. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. Lest I forget
if someone asked me, what are these wounds on your body? I will answer, the wounds I was given at the house of my friends. As soon as they condemned him this morning, I recognized my guilt in the Lord's death. I was weak and greedy, and I offered him to the chief priest for 30 pieces of silver. Almost immediately, I was ashamed and attempted to give the money back. What I have done is betrayed innocent blood. I have sinned. What is that to us? That is your responsibility, they replied. In my heart, I knew they were right. And I tossed the money at them and left. What I did was an act of treason. It's almost as if I had driven the first nails into his hand.
they came to the place called Golgotha. They crucified him along with two criminals. And Jesus said, But I, when I am lifted up from earth, will draw all men to myself. Last night, when Jesus was arrested, we all deserted him. He had told us earlier, this very night you will all fall away. In an attempt to prove my love, I declared that even if the others did so, I would never leave him. Jesus looked into my eyes and said, Peter, before the rooster crows twice in the morning, you will have disowned me three times. I insisted that I would die alongside him before disowning him. But then after the arrest, I was terrified of what might happen. Perhaps they would come after all of us. So when I was recognized as one of the disciples, I denied it three times. I even denied knowing Jesus. And I'm as guilty as if I'd have nailed him to the cross. And last night was as Zechariah prophesied. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And now standing on this hill, it seems as though all of Jerusalem has been drawn to the spectacle. On mountain sides or by the open sea, the broken and forgotten ones, the children and the weak, longing for a simple touch, a single look their way. He had compassion on them all, and he was heard to say, None of these who Will I turn away the lowly or the powerful, betrayer or betrayed? When I am high and lifted up for all the world to see, my arms outstretched to welcome them. Come to me, will I turn? 
one of the criminals on the cross beside Jesus began to hurl insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal said to him, Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We're being punished justly for the crimes we've committed, but this man has done nothing wrong. Being crucified today. I know that I'm guilty. I deserve to pay for my sins. But this man who hangs on the cross is innocent. He has done nothing to deserve such a death as this. And yet, I heard him say, Father, forgive them, for they do not understand what they were doing. What kind of man could ask for forgiveness for people who would nail him to a cross? Surely this must be the very Son of God. And so I asked him if he would have favor on me when he come into his kingdom. He looked at me with so much love and with pity, and he promised that this very day I would be there with him. Who can offer such undeserved love?
Then Jesus cried out in a loud voice and gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. Tombs were broken open and the bodies of many saints were raised to life again. I was responsible for guarding Jesus. I watched him as he suffered today and how he seemed to love those who put him to death. Not like the others I've seen crucified. Even the guilty ones curse the crowd and insist that they don't deserve punishment. When we felt the earthquake, we were all frightened. Most of the crowd left immediately. But I found myself believing that surely this Jesus was the Son of God. I feel as though we all put an innocent man to death today. They will look on me, the one they've pierced, and they will mourn for me as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for me as one grieves for a firstborn. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.
I lined the streets earlier in this week, waving palms, shouting, Hosanna, calling this man blessed. But this morning I stood before Pilate with the others demanding his death. Even Pilate didn't believe he was guilty of any crime, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. And we responded, his blood is on us and our children. We are all guilty, Pilate included, of what occurred here today. I can't believe that in just a few short days we went from praising him to condemning him. He looked right at me before he died with forgiveness on his face. I, I couldn't bear to meet his eyes. I, I couldn't bear to see the agony, to see what, what I had done.
he was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. told him in the early service I would not stand, I would not deign stand in front of the cross. I'll stand behind it. 
in its shadow. Always. We've been in a sermon series on the uh, 12 apostles. And which apostle is more appropriate today than Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus? John 13, 21 through 30 is the passage of scripture. While you hold your nail. When Jesus had thus spoken, he was troubled in spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was lying close to the breast of Jesus. So Simon Peter beckoned to him and said, Tell us who it is of whom he speaks. So lying thus close to the breast of Jesus, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give this morsel when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after the morsel, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money box, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel, he immediately went out, and it was night. You know, there was a time when the name Judas was an honorable name. Jesus even had a brother named Judas. And yet today, I don't know of anyone who would name a child Judas. I don't know of a church named Judas or a hospital or an orphanage named Judas. The name, ironically, means praise of God. How ironic that someone named Judas would be the one to betray God's very son. His full name was Judas Iscariot, and since his father was Simon Iscariot, we can assume that Iscariot is a contraction of the two words ish kerioth. Ish means son of, kerioth means son of Kerioth, which is a small town in southern Judah. He was a son of Kerioth, that small town. He was, we know, the treasurer of the apostles from John 12, verse 6. When the woman anointed Jesus' feet with costly nard, he said, Why was this ointment not sold and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to take what was put into it. So apparently, for some reason, the other 11 apostles trusted him and let him hold the money. And then what's really interesting is when Jesus predicted that one of them would betray him, not one of them pointed to Judas and said, it's he, isn't it? Judas is the one who would betray you. No, what did they all say? Lord, is it I? Am I the one who will betray you? So whatever Judas was doing, he had the other 11 fooled very well. He was the perfect hypocrite. I've heard people theorize about why Judas did what he did. Why would he do such a treacherous, deceitful thing? Well, the most obvious reason is because of the money. 30 pieces of silver, and we know he held the treasury, he held the money, he held the money box and was often taking money out of it. But honestly, 30 pieces of silver was not very much for the price of a life. We know from Exodus Chapter 21, verse 32, that 30 pieces of silver is only the price of a slave. And the chief priests and religious leaders would have paid much more than the price of a slave 
for the life of Jesus. Some people think that he betrayed Jesus because he saw the tides turning. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, it was Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But as the week wore on, Judas realized that the religious leaders and the chief priests were gathering momentum against Jesus. And Judas thought, I would be smart to switch sides now before it's too late. The tide is turning, and I need to protect myself. But if that had been the case, why didn't Judas just slip quietly into the shadows and never be seen again? I think the reason that Judas betrayed Jesus was because Judas was a Jewish zealot. He was a zealot from southern Judah. We know Kiriath was in the middle of uh, the hotbed of Jewish revolutionism, nationalism. And Judas, coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, saw the excitement and the fervor and the influence Jesus had on the crowd. And Judas was thinking to himself, now the revolution can begin. That revolution that I saw in Jesus, that I first began following him for, the the charisma, the power that emanated from this man. Now Jesus is going to begin the takeover of our homeland and run the Roman army out of our sacred territory. But Sunday turned into Monday, and Monday into Tuesday, and Tuesday into Wednesday, and Judas began to worry. Jesus is letting this perfect opportunity slip through his fingers. It's Passover. It's the perfect time to begin a revolution, and so Judas thought, I can force his hand. I can put Jesus into a corner and make him do a miracle that I've seen him do so many times before, call down the legions of angels and and oppress the Roman armies that have been attacking us. And so by backing Jesus into a corner, Judas thought that he would make Jesus do what he wanted him to do. And so I I read where someone said he betrayed him with the hiss of a kiss. How deceitful. But then things didn't work out the way Judas thought they were. Instead of the, the angels of armies coming and overthrowing the Romans, Judas saw Jesus being led away in chains. He realized his error. And he tried to undo it. He tried to return the 30 pieces of silver, but it was too late. And so he took his own life, which was the penalty, according to Scripture, for shedding innocent blood. I've heard folks argue about whether or not Judas had any choice in the matter. If Jesus knew Judas was going to do this from the start, then why did he even call him as an apostle to begin with? It's the predestined idea that Judas had no choice but acting in accordance with this plan that God was unfolding, and Judas was no more than a pawn in it. After all, didn't Jesus say in John 6, verse 70, did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, in our verse. For he, one of the twelve, was to betray him. So if Judas was to betray Jesus, though, I think, and he had no choice in the matter, I think he would have been no more than a scapegoat. He had no chance for salvation. 
And so I'll never believe that Judas was coerced into doing anything that he did not of his own free will choose to do. I heard an old preacher say one time that God votes for you, the devil votes against you, and you get to decide, you get to cast the deciding vote. God votes for you, the devil votes against you, you get to cast the deciding vote. And so Judas could have chosen otherwise. And if he had, that would have not have thwarted God's plan. He would have done it another way. He could have gone around Judas. He could have accomplished his ultimate will any way he chose fit. I don't want you to think that what you or I do or choose not to do will stop God. He may work around us, but don't ever doubt that God will complete what he sets out to do with or without our free will participation. Before we cast stones at Judas, though, before we cast stones at the religious leaders or the Romans who crucified Jesus, lest we think we could never be capable of a Judas deed, remember the seed of betrayal is within each of us. All of us are long past innocence. And so Judas serves for us as a painful reminder of how close one can live with Jesus and still be full of sin. And that's the case for us all. So let me leave you with a question this morning. Let's imagine that Judas had come to Jesus while Jesus was hanging on the cross. And Judas, with rope in hand, headed toward taking his own life. What if Judas had asked Jesus to forgive him? Would Jesus have done it? Of course. Of course. Jesus had already said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and that covers us all. The final tragedy of Judas is not what he did. The final tragedy is what he did not do. He did not ask for forgiveness and receive it. He could have been like Simon Peter. Simon Peter denied Jesus too, but found forgiveness and became a mighty minister of the word and of the Lord. That could have happened for Judas too, and Judas could have learned the truth that Paul taught later, that where sin increases, grace abounds even more. He could have learned the truth that Jesus taught the religious leaders that day when the woman poured the ointment on his feet and wiped them with her hair, when he told them, you love little because you have been forgiven little. She loves much because she has been forgiven much. Can you imagine what Judas could have done? The love he could have received, the forgiveness that could have been offered to him had he only asked. And so the good news of the gospel this morning is that if there's hope for Judas, there's hope for you and me. In spite of the mess we've made of our lives, I want you to know this morning that there's nothing too big or too bad for the redemptive love and forgiveness of God to handle. He's far more concerned in your future 
than he is in your past. He is a God of grace and forgiveness for Judas and for you and for me. Let's bow. Father, it's hard for us to look at the cross and hear the nails being hammered in and realize that we are complicit in that crucifixion. We are responsible, as responsible as were those who clamored for the crucifixion and those who hammered in the nails and those who pushed the spear in his side because it was for our sins that he died. Father, we acknowledge our sin this morning and we confess it and we ask you to forgive it and we know by the blood of Jesus which was shed on the cross it is enough to cover our sins and make them white as snow. We receive your love and grace this day in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing an invitational hymn this morning, The Wonderful Cross, and I'll be down here at the front to receive you. If you would like to respond to this God who loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son, the sinless one, to die a cruel death on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins and rose again to give us everlasting life. If you need to profess your faith in this Jesus, rededicate your life or join this church, I'll be here to receive you. Please come as we stand and sing the wonderful cross.